welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. Today is January 19th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 19. As a reminder, every day I read one chapter from the Word of God. So today we're going to look at Genesis 19, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, of themes, and the theology very briefly. Uh, My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day, and most days I'm pretty successful. Um, Some days, you know, we go 30 minutes, but uh, let's get into our reading of God's Word, Genesis 19. It says this, The two angels came from Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. And then you may rise up early and go your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, and so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people and the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break down the door down. But the men reached out their hands, and brought Lot into the house with them, and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And then the men said to Lot, Have you done anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people, has become great against the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. And so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. 
And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities which Lot had lived. And now Lot went up to Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. And so he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring with our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night. And, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ammai. And he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So this chapter follows the events recorded in Genesis 18. And so this, this chapter underscores the very reason for Sodom's destruction. The men of Sodom are contrasted with Lot, who seeks to protect the two visitors from being sexually molested. And as, as the next chapter will reveal, only Lot and two of his children are actually rescued from the destruction of Sodom. In verses 1 through 3 of this chapter, we see the two angels. From the context, these are the two men who accompanied the Lord in chapter 18, but were subsequently separated from him. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, and there the opening scene parallels the start of chapter 18, although the setting is now urban rather than rural. Subtle differences in the reporting of these parallel events may be significant. 
Like Abraham, Lot greets the two men by bowing before them and offering them hospitality. And since it's evening, he invites them to spend the night in his house. Lot, like Abraham, also provides a meal for the visitors, and there is no reports of his wife assisting. Unleavened bread implies that it was baked in haste. And and Abraham... Uh, by resembling, by speaking about Abraham, Lot demonstrates that he is righteous, unlike the men of Sodom, a theme which is developed in Second Peter 2, 7-8. Verse 4, the men of the city, refers to every male in Sodom. Both young and old were involved in the assault on the two visitors. They had become a gang seeking an orgy of rape. Verse 5, that we may know them. Now, in the Hebrew, the verb to know something, it denotes sexual intercourse. And the context here implies that the men of Sodom intended to have homosexual relationships with the two visitors, hence the origin of the term sodomy. Lot's earlier insistence in verse 3 of this chapter that the visitors should not spend the night in the square indicates that he feared for their safety. And by acting so wickedly against defenseless strangers, the entire community invites divine punishment. Verses 6 through 9. Lot's readiness to protect the two men from the mob surrounding his house is commendable. And in desperation, he offers his two unmarried daughters as a substitute, a shocking, cowardly, and inexcusable act, even if he intended this only as a bluff or expected the offer to be rejected. Now, the reaction of the crowd only confirms the truly evil nature of their intentions. Verse 9, the crowd's hostility is now directed at Lot. And while he addresses them both as brothers in verse 7, they see him and resent him as a foreigner who has become the judge. Verses 10 through 11, having failed to persuade the mob, Lot himself needs to be rescued. And so the angels strike him blind, the men nearest the door of Lot's house. Verse 12 through 14. Now the angels announce to Lot the eminent destruction of the city, and they instruct him to warn his relatives. His sons-in-law, however, treat Lot's words as a joke. Verse 16, he lingered. Even Lot is slow to grasp the seriousness of the situation. Of necessity and a display of divine mercy, the men physically pull Lot and his family out of the city. Verses 17 through 21. Since the entire valley will be destroyed, Lot is told to escape to the hills. And so he pleads to be permitted to take refuge in a small city in the valley. His request is granted as a further indication of God's mercy in the context of extensive judgment. Verses 24 and 25. The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, verse 24 tells us. And the word emphasizes the divine nature of the punishment, the consequence of which is the total destruction of the inhabitants, every single one of them, of Sodom and Gomorrah and of all the vegetation, verse 25 tells us. The theme of universal destruction echoes the flood story. The judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood of Genesis 6-9, and the latter destruction of the Canaanites when the people of Israel entered the promised land in Deuteronomy 20, 16-18, all vividly demonstrate God's righteous wrath against sin, his mercy in rescuing the godly from destruction, and the certainty of the final judgment to come, as we see in 2 Peter 2, 4-10. Verse 26 of this chapter. 
Lot's wife disregards the angel's instruction in verse 17 of this chapter to not look back and is transformed into a pillar of salt engulfed perhaps in the fiery matter raining in molten lumps from the sky. Now, verse 27 through 29, the narrative here jumps away from Lot to focus briefly on Abraham, reminding the reader of his intercession for Lot and his family in Genesis 18, 20 through 23. Genesis 19, 30 through 38. Here we see Lot's relationship to his daughters. The last unsavory uh, episode in the life of Lot, it describes how he becomes the father of the, Am- the Moabites and the Ammonites. It has a number of parallels with the last episode of the flood story in Genesis 9, 20 through 27. Verse 30 of this chapter. Although Lot had asked to escape to Zoar in verse 20 and 22 of this chapter, the destruction of the valley fills him with such fear that he leaves the city and moves away to live in the hills. And there he and his daughters inhabit a cave. Archaeological surveys have revealed that caves around the Dead Sea often served as places of refuge. Verses 31 and 36 of this chapter. Lot's two daughters fear that the isolated location chosen by their father will prevent them from having husbands. And having lost everything else, Lot may have wished to protect his daughters. They devise a plan whereby they will have intercourse with their father in order to have children. Consequently, Lot is manipulated by his daughters who make him drunk. Ironically, although they have intercourse with him on consecutive nights, Lot has no knowledge of this taking place. Verse 37 through 38. This unseemly episode explains the origin of the Moabites and the Ammonites. Now, Abraham's nephew, Lot, who was an important figure when the patriarch first appeared on the scene in Genesis 12, has been absent from Genesis uh, for several chapters. But in Genesis 19, Moses brings us into his house as he begins to unfold uh, the curse God brought upon Lot's city so very long ago. After visiting with Abraham and Sarah, two of the men who had brought the good news of Isaac's birth appeared to Lot at the gates of Sodom, as we see in Genesis 18.22 and Genesis 19.1. And so if we had any doubts as to their heavenly origin after chapter 18, we read in verse 19, verse 1 of this chapter, that these two travelers are angels. And who then was the third man who dined with Abraham, as we see in Genesis 18.2? Well, given the patriarch's intercession just before uh, today's episode in verses 22 through 33, it may be that the third man was a Christophany, a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin writes that it was granted to Abraham as a peculiar favor that God would not only send him two messengers from the angelic host, but that in a more familiar manner, he would manifest himself to him in his own son. Lot should be regarded as a believer, as we see in 2 Peter 2.7, but the whole of Genesis 19, is it, it demonstrates his immaturity in the faith relative to that of Abraham. And one indication of this is the fact that only angels visit him while the Lord himself came to his uncle. Lot's position in the Sodomite society further displays his lack of maturity. In antiquity, the respected elders in his city would gather at its gates for deliberation, as we see in Ruth 4, 1 through 12. And so it appears Abraham's nephew was highly regarded in the city as he sits at its gates. And this implies Lot has too strong an attachment to Sodomite culture, the very culture the Lord will soon destroy. 
And we're going to talk about Lot's worldliness more in due time in today's episode very briefly. But we must say that Lot is motivated to serve God. And he reveals this intent as he urges the two angels to stay overnight in Genesis 19, 2-3. One commentator tells us that we might even say Lot twisted their arm and is pleased to provide them with food and with shelter. And knowing that evil proclivities of his city, well, Lot refuses to have his visitors endanger themselves by sleeping in the town square, and he is finally able to convince them to spend the night at his home. John Christendom, one of the finest preachers from the early church, says of Lot, How could you help being amazed at his exceeding humility and the fervor with which he displayed his hospitality? Our eagerness to receive and even provide for visitors is one indication that our faith is real, as we see in Hebrews 13.2. What can you do today to show hospitality to somebody, and perhaps even consider inviting friends or neighbors to share a meal with you this week? Now, Solomon reminds us that those who mock Yahweh and his people will meet a terrible end. Our Lord will be scornful towards scorners, he tells us in Proverbs 3.34. Wisdom asks in Proverbs one twenty two, How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing instead of obeying correction from on high? The fool jeers at the guild offering, as Proverbs 14.9 says, by dismissing his own culpability or by failing to make restitution for sin, as we see in Leviticus 5.14-16. Such fools will not enjoy the benefits of holiness. And yet we must say the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah it illustrates Solomon's principle. You know, Lot's sons-in-laws thought he was jesting when he repeated God's warning to leave the city in Genesis 19.14. As a result, they provide additional evidence of the depth of Sodom's depravity. The multitude of evils in the city, including the seeing the divine wrath as merely a joke, it shows that the Sodomites have made themselves fit for destruction. John Calvin writes that the Lord kindly withheld Sodom's termination until he was almost compelled by their immense mass of crimes to come down to inflict punishment. Now, Lot is going to escape Sodom, but his devotion to heavenly things is not as firm as it should be. Abraham's nephew does not quickly leave. Instead, he lingers and has to be seen by the angels as if to survive, as we see in verse 16 of Genesis 19. He asks the angels to let him flee to the city of Zoar because he fears for his safety, not because it's a holy place, thereby showing how often he has placed self-love above godliness. Lot is a picture of the worldly believer, a reluctant disciple who finds himself drawn to the value system of the ungodly culture. This is not the so-called carnal Christian who lacks good works entirely. Carnal Christians, after all, do not exist. No follower of Jesus can be a slave to sin or completely negligent in his servants to the king, as we see in James 2, 14 through 26. And yet there are some who, though they have faith, still have their affections set on the comforts of this life. These are the ones who will be saved at the final judgment, but whose good works will not pass the Lord's test, as we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. May we never become so enamored with our culture that angels have to drag us away from it. 
Now, there are innumerable ways in which we become too attached to the world, even if we do trust in Christ. One danger is materialism, evident, uh, for example, when we put too much value in goods or when we neglect our families and work too much overtime so that we can maintain a certain lifestyle. Like Lot, we may begin to serve our cultural comforts and the evil standards of an ungodly culture. You need to consider today if you've done this like Lot did. Now, Lot's request to even flee to Zoar instead of the hills near Sodom. This plea, as we have seen, was not motivated entirely by faith. Instead, it reveals doubt in the provision of God. And yet, the Lord still grants it in verse 22, showing us that he hears the prayers of his people even when they're impure. John Calvin offers an insightful application here when he says this, Since God so kindly and gently bears with the evil wishes of his own people, what will he not do for us if our prayers are regulated according to the pure direction of his spirit and are drawn from his word? And yet, despite his lack of purity, Lot quickly heeds the words from God to flee Sodom. In the Middle East, there is barely half an hour between the first light of dawn and sunrise. And obviously, Lot did not delay once he was allowed by God to go to Zor. And with Abraham's nephew out of the way, the Lord rained sulfur and fire uh, upon Sodom and Gomorrah, eradicating all the people, all animals, all buildings, and all vegetation, as we see in verses 24 and 25 of our chapter today. So thorough is this destruction that the sulfurous fumes and the deposit of asphalt remain today in this formerly lush and desirable area. Fire and sulfur reappear later in the Old Testament as instruments of the crater's retribution, as we see in Psalm 11.6, warning men that the destruction awaits all who defy the Lord in rebellion against his word. Now, Lot escapes with his life, but not everyone who leaves Sodom is so fortunate. Lot loved God more than he loved the world, and thus he fled, never looking back as angels had commanded. But his wife was so attached to sin that she forfeited the salvation offered to her. And in looking back at her beloved city, she identified herself with a condemned civilization and was judged. The first readers of Genesis, those Israelites liberated from Egyptian slavery, they were tempted to view life in Egypt in a nostalgic way during an arduous trip to the promised land, as we see in Numbers 11, 1-6. Lot's wife, therefore, taught them not to look back to Egypt with fondness, but unto the Lord for salvation. And, and today, Lot's wife shows us that we must not yearn for the days in which we're in bondage to sin. Let us never return to the slavery that once defined our lives, as we see in 1 Peter 4.3. Some of you today listening or watching may be newborn Christians and especially might be tempted to engage in the sinful activities that once defined your lives. Others may be susceptible, susceptible to looking to the culture to determine their attitude and treasures. Now, whatever the case may be, all of us can unwittingly fall back into sin if we're not careful. So pray today that you be wary of the devil's wiles and avoid places of temptation this day. Now, Moses switches gears in Genesis 19:17 through 29, leaving Lot's family in order to view the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah from Abraham's perspective. The, the patriarch rises early on the morning. God rains sulfur and fire upon the wicked cities, returning to the place that he had stood before the Lord a day earlier. 
And then he then looks down upon the valley where these uh, dens of iniquity once stood. And instead of a bustling center of civilization, the region is now desolate and smoke is rising from the landscape, as we see in verses 27 through 28. And even though readers know Lot is safe and sound, this scene evokes a certain pathos. Abraham most likely does not realize his nephew has been rescued. And so his initial glance towards the valley probably caused him a good deal of consternation. Who among us has not felt the pain and the fear, at least momentarily, that an awful fate has befallen somebody that we love? Verse 29 gives us one of the most important lessons we need to learn from Sodom's end. It reads, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. These words echo Genesis 8.1, but not exactly. We should expect to read, God remembered Lot, for Abraham's nephew was spared death, just as it was Noah who, remembered, uh, who was remembered after the flood. Well, the difference here is not incidental. We are to understand that Abraham's intercession has saved his nephew, not Lot's own goodness. It is the patriarch whom the Lord remembers with favor. John Calvin writes this, what the Lord does gratuitously induced by no other cause than his own goodness is ascribed uh, to the prayers of men for this reason, that we may be stirred up to worship God and so to pray to him. And Genesis 19:29 it reminds us of our need to pray. And the Lord, we must say, is pleased to use our prayers as he redeems our friends and our family. We can never pray too long or even too hard for our wayward sons and daughters or unrepentant fathers and mothers or children. Consider also that if God remembered Abraham, how much more will he heed the prayers of his own son? Our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, can save to the uttermost because he continually intercedes for all those who have faith in Christ alone, as we see in Isaiah 53, 10-12 and Hebrews 7:25. The Bishop of Hippo, Augustine, had a mother who prayed for decades for his salvation, and the Lord doubtless used those prayers to move upon him, leading him to become one of the most influential theologians the world has ever known. Have you today been praying for what seems like an eternity for a non-believing friend or family member? Do not give up now, for God may remember you like you remembered Abraham, and grant salvation to your loved one. Now, Lot's taking of the best land in Canaan for himself was one of the worst decisions he ever made. Instead of dividing the country equitably between himself and his uncle, Lot seized a lush area around Sodom and lived far away from his family. And the first result of this decision was his capture by Cheliander forces, but even his rescue by Abraham did not convince him to abandon Sodom. Loving Sodom more than the Lord's people, he moved into the city that God later destroyed, as we've seen today in Genesis 19. And as we've seen today, Lot escaped death on this occasion, but this does not deprive the situation of its irony. As we've seen today, Lot and his daughters then left Zoar for the mountains, and Abraham's nephew once had so many servants and livestock that it was difficult to live near his uncle. But now, he who was once selfishly sought to increase his wealth, as we see in Genesis uh, 13, 8-13, finds that he can fit everything he owns into a cave in Genesis 19:30. However, Lot has not been able to eliminate the fear that has been mixed with his faith. 
Verse 30 tells us that he left Zoar, the place to which God had allowed him to flee, because he was afraid. And Lot was not confident his creator would protect him. And yet he suffers an even worse disgrace from his daughters. The two women hastily, though through fear, think that no man could be arranged to marry them. And so they get their father drunk and lie with them so to produce heirs. If sexual relations between relatives more distantly related than Lot and his daughters are punishable by death, according to Leviticus 20.12, certainly these acts are even more wicked. Incest between father and daughter was condemned even by the pagan cultures surrounding Israel at this time, further accentuating how despicable these acts are. Ironically, Lot was once willingly to callously sacrifice his daughter's virginity to avoid danger in Genesis 19, 6-8, but now his children dishonor him at the first sign of trouble. Lot and his daughters get out of Sodom, but the influence of the city's corrupt morals remains. Such uh, loose and lawless living actions are a sign of those not devoted to obeying the Lord with their whole heart. Chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession of Faith summarizes the Bible's teaching on perseverance, arguing that those with faith may fall grievously, but they will not fall away finally. You see, Lot fell grievously and yet not totally out of the Lord's hand. Nevertheless, he lost his property and his honor. You see, if we love the sinful world too much, we may also fall under God's discipline. And thus, we must always strive to walk in holiness, lest we lose our good name and possibly even our livelihood. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is January 19th, and we have looked at Genesis 19. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.